Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Everybody, it's your announcer at a dance contest, Wizard Holden McNeely. I, 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 I'm your little butterfly, <laughs> Bruiser Jake. <laughs> and today I am really excited. I, 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 I'm your little butterfly. <laughs> Weird Euro pop songs that everybody loves. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm. I actually am very thrilled to do this episode today, Jake, because this is such a good, fun, weird one. Of course, we're talking about Dance Dance Revolution, and it is so. This is definitely one of those episodes that going into it, a a little. Worried that maybe there wouldn't be enough oh, or something. Fools. I know what fools we were, what I was to, <laughs> to think that that would even be a possibility. But then it's also this thing that I, I, I always marveled at from a distance. And this really laid out how this became such a big, bizarre niche community thing, but a popular niche community thing all across America. For me, I didn't have this relationship with DDR. I wasn't going on Friday nights with a group of friends to the arcade just to play Dance Dance Revolution. I really, you know, I, I loved rhythm games growing up. I enjoyed uh, Parappa the Rapper, which we'll talk about. I enjoyed that a lot, actually, which really get led, get, you know, gave way to all of this stuff. And, of course, got into the rock band and Guitar Hero stuff, uh, peripherals, which we're not really going to talk about today. But that's definitely an, another eventuality that's based out of the craze of Dance Dance Revolution. What I will say is the last time I saw like a DDR proper machine, I was at uh, Summer Games Done Quick, which is the summer version mm-hmm. of Awesome Games Done Quick, the speed running competition, or not competition, speed running marathon for charity. And while there, they had this arcade that they set up in one of the rooms or whatever in it had a bunch of really cool stuff but had a lot of rhythm games and it definitely had a ddr setup i was there with my friends uh cammy and mcmanwich by the way shout out to you two uh, and they immediately were like, all of a sudden, I mean, they were enjoying the speed run part, but when the, they saw the machines there, it was on, and they were just on those fucking machines, and I tried a little bit of it, it's definitely hard, I spoke, actually, I hit up Cammy to talk to me a little bit about her experience with DDR and everything, and among things like how it helped her lose 30 pounds in college, mm-hmm. it also was something that she said, you really kind of need a Sherpa 
to mm-hmm. guide you to get you really into it, it in a lot of ways it seems very difficult to to be super passionate about it without some kind of community pushing you towards it or friend or boyfriend or girlfriend or something kind of being like this is what we do now you know and it's been quite a while since we've come across a topic that on its surface seems like okay i get it i remember playing it with like the little floor pads uh-huh. in college uh, you know, everyone had a PS version. Sometimes, oh, the one cool Asian kid had a hacked PlayStation, so he had like a <laughs> bunch of versions that never made it to America. Uh-huh. Like, oh, it was so cool. I get it. It's fun. We remember it in the arcades. It's always referenced. And if you need to make like it immediately clear something is taking place in the aughts, you throw a DDR machine in there. Okay, okay, fine, we got it. And then, whoops, we fell into an endless chasm of obsession. <laughs> well, it's really it's like amazing. finding out um, when the Easter Island heads, if you actually dig beneath the surface, they actually have a whole body underneath them. It's one of those little arcade cabinets that could stories. It's the situation of... Yes, it, it makes more sense that it's popularity in Japan, but it's actually a minor miracle that it became as popular as it became in America. And it had a, it was just this perfect set of ingredients that all came together that allowed it to flourish and become this popular thing, especially because, and we'll, we'll get more in depth on this as we talk in the episode, but arcades super languishing during the time that DDR was became a big community a thriving community uh surrounded it. it it really was a bizarre time for a cabinet of any kind to become a phenomenon in the states i mean it was so much more about the home console market there weren't people weren't meeting in person to play video games for the most part but this there there and there's a reason why this became the sensation that it became in america and uh yeah i I uh, was fascinated by the whole thing. It made me want to go out and play. And, of course, Jake, you did <laughs> go to Dave & Buster's, I believe, last night, right? As of this recording, um, I looked around because uh, one of the things that was really fascinating about modern DDR culture is how codified and how connected everything is. Mm-hmm. And the machines are kind of like destinations. They are their own shrines yes. to this community because the home market is a little bit more fractured. It's a lot of more freeware, a lot more homemade rigs then you know i don't even think they make you can't get a floor pad for a modern console at this point. uh i don't think for a modern console you yeah. could probably you could probably figure yeah you'd have to probably mess with it and, and adapt it um, yourself so i went to Times square which is uh at the dave and busters uh, because Dave and & Buster's and Round 1 Arcades are technically the only places that can legally purchase the modern Dance Dance Revolution Ace, uh, or now it's A20 machine. A20 is the newest model, yes. Um, and I just walked in and saw on a Wednesday night just 10 to 12 people wow. hanging out, waiting for their turns, logging in with their Konami e-amusement cards, wow. sharing notes. And Love it. They were really friendly with me. They were, you know, happy. You know, they thought I was a reporter of some kind. <laughs> Uh, I I'm, mean, technically, you are, to uh, a certain degree. Yeah, I put on my uh, trench coat and put a fedora <laughs> with a little press pass in, and I just walked in being like, the stink of cheap tequila and sweat wafted through the air as little tippy taps echoed throughout the cacophonous <laughs> building. Yeah, I saw, so yeah, it, it, no good reporter article <laughs> is complete without the word cacophonous <laughs> thrown somewhere about it. <laughs> I asked the young man what his name was. He said Ligma. It must be an ethnic thing. 
So yeah, I love that you said what what you just said though that they were very friendly and they were excited that you were there as a part of this group of people that they were excited to exchange notes and that sort of thing. And that is the vibe that I get so overwhelmingly from the research that I did is that the DDR community is very open and very excited for new people to join the fray in a way that a lot of communities might not be you know i think i i I experienced some of this with the fighting game community but sometimes i experience a bit of a different vibe you know where it's it's like they're a part of a secret society that is harder to break into whereas ddr it's like please please become a part of this i do think that they understand how fragile this whole situation is for this thing that they're very passionate about in the sense that it's been very difficult Konami's relationship with the American DDR scene and we will also get into that later and it's, and- it's literally a matter of survival because mm-hmm. if the idea is if this game gets more popular that will cut hours of traveling yes. from their lives because you know if yes. they weren't uh, willing to travel into the heart of the shittiest part of Manhattan to play this game they'd have to <laughs> like get in a car and go for another hour yeah. into Long Island yeah just to get this like itch out of their system that's how passionate people are about this amazing game let's are you ready let's get into it Dance, the dance. land of the rising sun, <laughs> noble Japan, in humble a in a world uh, where dragons are kings. So, here's the overview. <laughs> dragons are kings. Yeah, you know, I feel like that's a whole like that's like a, I don't know where I pulled that. But, you know, just imagine people's... just like a giant dragon on a little throne, <laughs> like more taxes. <laughs> so, uh, the the Dance Dance Revolution is the pioneer of the rhythm and dance genre in video games, where one stands on a, quote, dance platform and hits colored arrows to musical and visual cues. It was produced by Konami as part of the Bimani series in Japan in 1998 and North America and Europe in 1999. Bimani is Konami's music video game division, originally named the Games and Music Division, or GMD, and their first game was Beat Mania, and that's where they got the name change. Bimani is just a shortened version of Beat Mania. The same way that Pokemon is a shortened version of Pokemon. Japan just likes doing that. They like doing that, which was released in 1997, Beat Mania, that is, and had players working with a fake turntable with five buttons and this uh, sort of role-playing as a DJ. But I would like to start with a fast, at least to me, a fascinating brief history of rhythm games. Because, A, I love rhythm games. And now, rhythm games are totally a very commonly known and accepted genre of video game. But that was not the case uh, until, honestly, until after Parappa the Rapper. Uh, It's weird how it is and it isn't like a thing now because... Like Guitar Hero, everyone got, but then it kind of went away. It is like, a passing. It's but it's, it's not in right now as big as it once was with that stuff. But it's still, you know, people. But it's it's a genre people are familiar with. Among generally. the hardcore, it has never gone away. The DDR fans are kind of yes. on the same thing. The people that play Osu for like at you know breakneck speed. Yes, are Osu's all... crazy. By the way, <laughs> for people that just feel that euphoria of just going full. Uh, with prompts on screen, uh-huh. like that love, that dedication has only increased over the years, even as its popular awareness like wet rises and falls. So one of the earliest popular examples of a rhythm game is Simon, which was invented by Ralph H. Bear and Howard J. Morrison in 1978. Of course, Simon, if you know, it's the it's the round 
plastic toy with the four different colored buttons and then it'll it'll play a pattern of lights and sound and you will repeat the p- pattern of lights and sound i think everybody knows simon but i'm still just just in case you don't i don't know google image it and you'll see what it is but um this was admitted by ralph h bear and howard j morrison uh in 1978 and it was actually inspired by atari inc's 1974 arcade game touch me in which the player observes a sequence of blinking lights and must repeat the sequence back. On a naked man. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? It's kind of weird. That is such a weird name. But Bear and Morrison felt it had, quote, nice gameplay, terrible execution, visually boring, miserable rasping sounds. If you look up a picture of it, it might put you to sleep. It does not look like the most inviting video game to play. The uh, Milton Bradley Company took them up on a pitch uh, where they developed tones for their game that were inspired by the notes of a bugle, and they gave it bigger, more colorful buttons. Milton Bradley likes the pitch, but they changed the name. The name was going to be Follow Me. That's how inspired this game still was creepy. on Touch Me. It's still very creepy, possibly, maybe even technically creepier than Touch Me. <laughs> uh, and they changed the name to Simon. It wasn't until 1987, though, almost a decade later, uh, that we got uh, Dance Aerobics, which was released on the Nintendo and published by Bandai. And fascinatingly enough, they utilized the Nintendo's Power Pad, which, of course, is a floor mat released for the NES. I think everybody just knows track it as the field. track and field pad. I mean, I didn't even know this game existed, but it did. I strongly advise you look up a YouTube video of it because it is so old school and it's so fascinating just to see this a, a game that actually resembles DDR in action so long ago, all the way back in 1987 and it's uh published by bandai released on the nintendo utilizing that power pad the uh, which is the nintendo floor mat it had 12 pressure sensors embedded within it that one could step on and originally it was called the family trainer and (laughs) then the family fun fitness before it became the power pad the pad side b was used for dance aerobics which has three rows of four buttons numbered one through 12 and in this game an aerobics instructor shows you patterns and counts off the rhythm for the movements or it shows you a s- short song and you repeat it very Simon style, or you can create your own melodies with it. So that was the the next step in this bizarre trend of rhythm games. But again, another whole decade later is where we get the big game changer, and that is Parappa the Rapper. It is credited as the first true rhythm Kick. Punch. It's all, all in the, the mind. mind. If you want to test me, you're just fine. <laughs> do to beat you. Do to beat you. Nevertheless, you get a lesson from teacher. Now kick. In kick, kick, ra- kick, <laughs> kick, kick. Punch. 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 <laughs> in the rain or in the snow. I got the funky flow. In the rain or in the <laughs> snow. Got the got funky, funky flow. I love <laughs> the Parappa the Rapper. That's why I'm like forcing this into this episode. No, no. It really is important. Well, it is then, a precursor ideally, to Dance Dance Revolution. Ideally, we do a whole episode about the one level where you're waiting to take a massive shit. I love <laughs> this video game, and they did a remaster of it. Unfortunately, the now game- Now here we are, just sitting in the car. car. I want uh, you to join me. If you can go far, now it's, step on the gas. It's so step good. I actually, I did a 24-hour stream when I launched my, I, essentially when I went part-time professional streamer. And in that, I had my buddy Jordan Temple over, very funny comedian, writer for Miss Ma- uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel at this Who point. Who isn't in this city? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he was talking, like, he just had such a nostalgia trip 
playing the game. He like loved it as well. We had such a fun time and we beat the whole game in in, in our sitting together and just had such a blast. Um, one thing is with the remaster, you, it really stands out. The game feel is rough and they really fixed rhythm game feel a lot after Parappa, mm. but the vibe is still there. The songs still hold up. It's still the so much fun to play. The songs are still amazing. The graphics are still charming. If you are expecting the kind of responsiveness and like good feeling of a modern rhythm yes, game, you're not gonna couch really those expectations get that. super hard. I mean, but it's very beatable. It's not like it's it's so in, it's it's so bad that you feel like you can't beat it. You're just maybe not going to get like the kind of scores you would think you would get because the timing's just a little bizarre. It's a little off. But anyways, this game was created by Vasaya Matsura, and it was very fascinating to read about. He was a pretty successful musician in a band called Psy.S, or Psy.S, at a time, P-S-Y.S is what it, how it's, I don't know how to say it. At a time when interactive multimedia was a big deal in the field. So Matsura got some ideas for this. He goes into development on Parappa, and he's still just a musician. No prior game dev experience whatsoever. Matsura said, I remember that many of the staff at that time saying that, quote, this is not a game. Even for me, it was not clear to me either if this was a game or not. And someone from Sony actually paired Masaya Matsura with artist Rodney Greenblatt, who was who at the time was doing marketing materials for Sony Creative that were getting very positive results. And uh, another thing we didn't talk about is the art is great. I love the characters in this game. They look great. It has this weird. It's like almost three D looking. They're they're they look. It's kind of Paper Mario essentially. I guess is how you how you would describe the way they look. Uh, so Masura wanted his music game to be based on people's voices. So that's why he went with rap. And originally it was to be a rapping shrimp, but later they ter- made Parappa a dog. I kind of wish he was a rapping shrimp, though, because that would have been hilarious. And but- so this new style of adventurous, yeah. interesting, independent video game that is available exclusively for home consoles highlights just how much variety, fun, and affordable joy you can have at your own home with a PlayStation console. And this was a nightmare for arcades. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That is it's kind of funny. Parappa not only created what would become a revitalizer for arcades, but it also was the advent of why they fa- they suffered so bad uh, with the because of the home console market really just taking over completely. It's only a year after Parappa that Konami would put out Beat Mania in arcades. By the way, and again, look up a picture of a Beat Mania cons- uh, uh, arcade cabinet. Rather, it is just crazy looking it looks it looks like a precursor to ddr in a lot of ways but i just love the pizzazz that konami and and probably just the japanese arcade market in general puts into their cabinet design it is so over the top and so inviting looking for fun and uh they had the whole turntable and everything which made me think about what would dj hero would come out later it actually made me be like fuck should i like Try to get DJ Hero. There back are people in my life. who will I love still DJ Hero. T- yeah, you're you're among them. You're the one of the people that are like, dude, DJ Hero. Everyone slept on it. It was incredible. <laughs> it was awesome. I never had a actual. I would have to go to a friend's house to play it, but it, it was a similar vibe where you had a fake DJ board with a turntable and everything, and you had to do the match the inputs that were flying at you, just like in DDR or any other rhythm game. So. We've talked about Konami in the past, especially uh, in our 
I think during our Hideo Kojima Metal Gear episode. Uh, uh, how can you not talk about Konami when it comes to Hideo Kojima? And it's uh, it's a thing that is in Japanese video game companies, companies like Sega, companies like Konami, they own the arcades as well as create the machines. And yeah. it's such a massive industry over there to this day in a way that, you know, the family fun center has all but evaporated outside of like a Dave and Buster's or around one here. But still, arcades are a place to gather. They are a normal business, a normal piece of social life, a place to go after school, a place to go on a weekend or on a date. I miss it so much. <laughs> and the home market was, around the turn of the millennium, was eating away at these arcade machines, forcing them to kind of... Especially in America. Japan... In Japan it's a little bit too a, in Japan. A little bit, but Japan's arcade scene thrived a bit oh, more. Oh, it was much more robust, so it like it could take the hit, but it was still, you know, there were, uh, fighting games were crowding the market. Right. You know, things, uh, uh, shoot-em-ups were crowding the market. All the old hits just weren't having the same pizzazz because they cost more money, and with Beat Mania... And a bunch of other things. The novelty cabinet, the, the you know, the, where the physical controller, uh, we Top Skater, another one that we uh -huh. talked about. You know, the the idea of arcade as amusement, as yes. as electro a return to the electromechanical days yes. of old shooting galleries and skee ball mm -hmm. and pinball for a stuff you can't just have in your living room. Exactly. Um, uh, most sensible people can't have in their living room. I'm sure there's plenty to do. And so working for Konami is a game producer named uh, Yoshihiko Ota. Yoshihiko Ota joined Konami just out of school in 1986, and his first game was a sub-programmer and graphic designer on Penguin Adventure, Jake? Penguin Adventure, the game that Hideo Kojima worked on as well and also got his big start on? I can't believe we're still talking about <laughs> Penguin fucking Adventure. I feel like I've talked about Penguin Adventure a million times on this show. It's a very cute penguin. It's a cute-ass penguin, and a lot of amazing people who would go on to do incredible stuff worked on it, apparently. They came out on the MSX, and uh, yeah, then uh, Oda finds himself working on a fighting game, and he said to himself, deep inside, no matter how many times I calculated things, I couldn't imagine that this game would sell. And that is especially true with how much home consoles were taking over the video game market from arcades in the 90s. So Ota and his group of 35 core developers needed something completely different. He needed a wild card. And they looked at the success of Beat Mania for inspiration, as well as the clubs that he went to for fun at night. So the team brings in professional dancers. They use mocap to create dance uh, data points out of movements. No one on the staff knew how to dance, apparently. <laughs> they had an engineer on their team look at a dance book in order to help make the game. And this is where they create the basics. A system of steps assigned to parts of a beat in a way that mimic the b-boy breakdance moves called the uh, move rather called the top rock, which, albeit in a goofy manner, is when you look at b-boys like break dancers when you that four yeah. step that yeah. box step basically exactly. when they're swinging their arms back and kind forth. of before they're about to do a bunch yeah. of cool shit it's kind of the gear up a little bit <laughs> for sure right so oda's higher ups they balk at the idea uh because they feel like no one would want to embarrass themselves doing such an activity i love oda said whoa whoa, whoa. are you telling me japanese people are obsessed <laughs> with public shame that doesn't sound right <laughs> so oda says it's true that there's an embarrassing aspect but don't you think that behind their feeling of embarrassment people also have the desire to stand out 
He is correct. People definitely have that. That is so such a many big part of it. People, so many not pros, obviously, but so many DDR high level players talk about their initial thrill, the initial joy of playing DDR well is knowing you were the center of attention, that yes. you were in a public space making a big show of yourself. And it was in, through a forum where it was tightly controlled. Yes. Each song is only a couple minutes long. So you're not going to be up there flailing. You know exactly what's coming up. Right. Uh, B, it's people can see what you're doing and how it relates to the game in a very instantly understandable way. So mm -hmm. they know you're excelling. Also, if you're not a flashy person, you can still get respect and love in the community by being just very... Uh, very precise mm -hmm. and very technically good. So so it, it really meets different demands for, oh, let's say maybe you're a person who loves to dance and then this is the perfect way to combine that with video games for you. Or you're the type of person who loves to just 100% stuff and be really good at stuff and then, you, and then you, all of a sudden you find yourself dancing. I will say I talked to one of the better players at the Dave & Buster's on a Wednesday night in the middle of Times Square and I tried to get him to say something like profound so I was like, so for someone like, you know, for someone nerdy, is it about experiencing the euphoria of movement in a way that is more readily understandable to a nerdy mind in a way that, you know, going to a club or, you know, putting yourself out there in a social situation is harder to, you know, work past? And he just looked at me like I was an alien. He was like, no, people just like playing the game, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We are looking at it in this way of what are we're looking at? Like it's a science experiment. Like what are making these humans drawn to the? So the, and then at the end of the day, it's like it's just fun, bro. <laughs> so let's talk about the cabinet really quick. It consists of two parts, the cabinet and the dance platform. The cabinet has large floor speakers with glowing neon lamps, which is very important mm. for its success. The stage is made of metal with four acrylic glass pads to step on that are attached to four pressure activated switches with safety bars mounted behind the player. I think one of the first things that stood out to me when I was looking at people playing it was that weird thing that pros do where they hang on to that back uh, bar so that they can, you know, be swifter on, on their feet with the hitting the buttons. At this era, at this very early era, the bar was just kind of for safety just yeah, to just let people... Yeah, didn't fall backwards. He'd fall backwards. People know not to crowd the platform. It was just a almost a visual signifier. Right. And it was considered like kind of gauche to rely on the bar. Ah. Uh, you know, it wasn't until... We get to the later years where such highly technical play yep. became so important that the, you know, now, yeah, reaching behind you, using your triceps and your arms to prop yourself up as you tap your legs in between each square is basically the only way to play. Yeah, if you're not going for style, especially, you, yeah, you, you don't even look like, people don't even look like they're dancing if no. you're not going for style at all you're just leaning on that back pedal and you're you're just your feet are like lightning yeah your feet are as if your your hands were trying to play a rhythm game on the on a keyboard actually or uh while we're talking about it um mary i'm gonna send you a clip and if you can play the audio this is what two high level ddr players sound like when they're playing a game in this our year of our lord 2020 <laughs> What the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, another element of the cabinet, which is very important for the community building aspect, was that one can use a PlayStation memory card to save their high scores. This was initially, later on, I believe it's just like a USB 
probably, right? Or is it? There was so many different schemes oh, across really? regions, across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you either used the specific Konami cards, you used uh, key patterns. There were codes. I think the first major one was you downloaded codes that you then posted to a website that would mark your score. Uh, that's one of the things that keeps this makes this very hard to keep track of. But right. Once the first DDR machine it's very was very scattered, it's very ununified at this point, and that's a big part of the story, actually. Uh, in Japan, ROM packs and upgrades came out regularly for the game, increasing features, increasing functionality. Not the case in America, which is another. It's it's that's going to be a big story element going in in a little bit. But oh, yeah. Uh, so while we're on the quote unquote first mix machine. Uh, music selections were only 11 tracks mm-hmm. uh, with uh, a lot of they, there was a licensing deal with a compilation series called Dance Mania uh, made released by Toshiba that had a ton of basically Eurobeat and techno songs yes. on top of it. And this is where classic classic DDR I don't even these aren't even on newer versions like the licensing deal has long since passed but stuff like Kung Fu Fighting by Bus Stop featuring mm-hmm. Carl Doug. Uh, a Butterfly, which you sung earlier by Smile, Smile D- DK. Oh, my God. Okay, hold on. Have you seen Smile DK? Uh, yeah, I mean, in the look, process. Look of- at them. Yeah. <laughs> How, like, these two white... You're, DK means Germany, right? Or, Deutsch, or Denmark? Nee, sure. No, Denmark. These two Danish women with, like, dreadlocks, like, hip holsters, <laughs> giant cell phones. Like, it is... Oh, it's so much the 2000s. It is. I know it was late 90s, but Europe late 90s was our 2000s exactly. because of stuff like DDR. Then there were also in-house songs. Make It Better by Mitsu O, Paranoia by 180, and Trip Machine by D Desire, which is D-E-Sire. Wow, how'd they get a hold of all those great bands? Yeah, they were all done by Konami's in-house musician Naoki Maeda. Oh, <laughs> I is, love this. He is actually credited for creating almost every Bimani DDR song, at least since 2002, having written 100 songs for games at that point, which is fucking bananas one of the things about the original ddr was that it was going at a very at a much lower frame rate than later machines and so if you pick it up with the sense of timing that you have from modern rhythm games you will be in a ton of trouble getting nailing those notes like you're used to right right. uh similar to parappa the rappa yeah so the arcade board for the first cabinet is called the system 573 which is based on the original playstation and was first used in the fight in a game called fighting mania uh it is a uh that which is a different cabinet which was based on fist of the north star and i know we keep asking you to look stuff up but i would actually suggest looking up fighting mania because it, it just looks insane you essentially have these pads that pop out and you have to punch them uh and like it, it it looks pretty inspired by the original Street Fighter that had punch pads, but this just looks like on another level. So, in other words, System 573... <laughs> the System 573 definitely used for very interactive arcade cabinets. That's what that... And so, with the raised stage, wild lighting, big speakers, and an announcer sounding off throughout the songs, the game gives this performative feel that largely led to its draw in the arcade scene. So, let's get into how that happened how or at least how it goes from japan to america because that is not an easy feat especially in the 2000s when the whole arcade scene in general are not just dwindling they are shutting down all over the place so ddr big hit in the arcade scene in japan uh and this is a path that was paved by beat mania's success 
Konami saw a 260% increase in its net income because of DDR, with a home version for the PlayStation released in 1999, just six months after the arcade release. But of course, this is all in Japan. Also, after just eight months, 3,500 arcade units have been sold, with each unit costing around $15,500. That is a major point of how... It is seems insane that this was able to make it to America and have the success it did because a lot of arcade owners, a lot of people, and you, most of these arcades, by the way, are just offshoots of the establishment itself. It's not necessarily like a Dave and Buster's proper. Golfland is a big one in the West Coast that adopted uh, was an early adopter of DDR in its arcade, but it's a very expensive price point. For anyone. Okay, so uh, I think you're working off of the same thing I'm working off, which sure. was a uh, a paper written in 2002, like around the time of DDR's explosion by a guy named David Liu. Uh, and he goes into how uh, not only was DDR an expensive cabinet, but on top of that, it was the genre was not remotely a thing. The only reason, the only uh-huh. games that were solid money makers were stuff like fighting games, action games. Yeah. And so the it's a idea, big ask. The idea that you're going to spend three to four times as much money on this unproven thing. unproven concept that requires a ton of upkeep because these are mechanical, you know, switches on a giant board. They need to be cleaned. They need to be, you know, sorted out. Uh, the volume needs to be managed. A giant headache. What really happens is most arcades kind of balk yeah and it doesn't quite sell very well konami though first looks to california as the state had a lot of arcades and tended to be a spot where trends originate including rave culture dance music culture big over there so they think a lot of candy kids right so machines made their way to the u.s and konami sold an unspecified apparently triple digit amount by august of 2000 it did shockingly well at least for the arcade owners from their perspective. For example, the Southern Hills Golfland Arcade established a cabinet in May of 1999, and by August of 2000, the machine earned over $40,000 in tokens. So they've already making their money back and making a big profit. So back in 2000, by the way, just for reference, the number of arcade machines throughout the U.S. went from 750,000 to approximately 450,000, which is a crazy, crazy diminishment. Like half. It was, de- it was like cut in half. half. And tons of arcades are shutting down, as I mentioned before. In a way, this was actually weirdly helpful in order to build a community for DDR players. Because if you wanted to play DDR, there were very few places to do so, which shoved all of these enthusiastic people together in one place. And folks who wouldn't normally hang out became buds, started seeing. And, you know, if you if you liked this one game... You yeah, you like you said before, you're traveling maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour to go play this game and everyone's going to get together in this one spot and that is you going to You see them week after week, yep. you start hanging out. They're like, you know, regulars at a bar for kids that are under 21. Also, unlike many other video game communities, it was not male dominated and was very racially diverse as well. There was just this great melting pot happening that wasn't happening as much in other places. Therefore, it was more conducive to more people getting involved in the scene. So there were two different approaches to play that we alluded to before that emerged within these regional groupings. There was tech and freestyle. 
with the former focusing on hitting the inputs as accurately as possible, while the latter was more about style by doing moves such as knee dropping, where you hit the arrows with your knees, the hand plant, which is the same thing, but with your hands. You do spins, where you spin in a circle while hitting arrows, and the craziest one, matrix walking, where you hold on to the support bar while walking across the screen. It was a bit frowned upon because you could damage the machine, oh, but there's... people did it anyways. And by the way, and I know that you're, you're lighting up right now too, it is very fun to look up YouTube videos of people doing cool freestyle shit on DDR machines. What's a little bit sad is a lot of the better, a lot of the really more dynamic freestyle dances are older videos. Uh-huh. You know, it kind of hit its peak yeah. at a certain tech won the day in the end. Uh, in a way that I think it's bec- a we'll get into how Konami kind of refolded the American scene into the Japanese right. scene. And the, and the rise of the tournament scene, and it's just easier to get a winner on a on an actual score point basis rather than a style basis. Yeah, it's very subjective to say this person's dance is better than another. His spin assuming, was cooler than his Matrix walk. Assuming both uh, people hit the right notes on the machine. Also, the more crazy stylish things you're doing, like the Matrix walk, the rougher you're being on the machine. Mm-hmm. So I bet it was also arcade owners were probably more into the style or into the tech approach than the freestyle approach. So there's a bunch of different mixes that are getting released in Japan. There's uh, machines that are getting released to the Korean market. Uh, you know, slowly but surely, new features are being added. They replace the analog CD audio with MP3s, which allows dozens and dozens and dozens of tracks where, you know, first mix was maybe 12 songs now there's 136 songs when right. by the time you get to fourth mix you know new songs are entering the uh the canon such as uh paranoia which is one of the classic like hard mode songs that remixes still are being introduced into the game to this day uh stuff like la señorita is a very classic uh song that people are enjoying as well as Eurobeat and modern dance tracks such as by the time we get to fifth mix this is this is one of my favorite I associate this the most with intense DDR high BPM crazy music even though it's technically a Japanese band Mary can you play a little bit of Hot Limit by John Desire so I'm jumping all over the place but in California, word of mouth spreads that these machines will save your dying arcade mm. and demand skyrockets. Konami is left a little bit flat-footed because they weren't ready for these level of orders. Yeah. And so arcades in America start trying to figure out a way around this and their solution is illegal smuggling. <laughs> Chances are if you are around our age and you remember kind of a, a shitty DDR machine in your movie theater, that wasn't bought through Konami. That was probably a Korean machine mm. that was imported because Konami kind of stopped updating their Korean DDR imprint. And it just kind of left them, it, They, you know, Korea, they got sick of it. And so there were a ton of discounted machines available across the Pacific. And so even though it was, it, again, you were literally breaking the law. So many of the machines that, you know, you first witnessed were probably brought in illegally. Gotcha. Yeah. But the community is swelling up. David Maiman, a competitive DDR player, said, What I've learned quite simply is that anytime you say, let's have a DDR meetup, people will come. Just create a Facebook event and post about it on DDR sites, and boom, it's a chain reaction. Another little side note, it even had the Mortal Kombat secret code 
thing that made arcades so big, I feel like, in that, that time in the 90s, uh, where you could enter a code to unlock more songs, get more options, get higher difficulties. And if you knew the code, as uh, Cammy was telling me about this, like she felt like knowing the code made you a part of this special secret society that just even was even more conducive to uh you know building this community also in reaction to the growing community uc berkeley engineering student jason co who was regular a regular at the milpitas golfland cabinet uh, arcade cabinet uh, for DDR. He established ddrfreak.com, oh a website and message board which also had a data- database of all the DDR machine locations in North California. And its coverage expanded in 2001 to the entire country. So now you don't you don't just have the meetups. Now you have this online message board that is again just swelling up this American community, making it bigger and bigger and bigger. Now it's online and it's offline. They're meeting up in person, but they're maintaining these relationships ships uh through the internet and then meeting back up until they meet back up in person and so holden i have discovered a thing in doing our research and that (laughs) is much like the beloved space jam movie website (laughs) ddrfreak.com is still up yes and there is a profiles page hell yeah please you told me about this before (laughs) we started and i'm so excited for this part of the episode give it lay it on me jake so people were free to leave their profiles on the site and write themselves up. And it's just a perfect snapshot of that early 2000s Lowell random scene humor. Mm-hmm. So you can, so I, I can't even, it's just a sea of hotmail and AOL uh, email addresses. And you get stuff like uh, Kevin Wong, nickname, switch, <laughs> email address, Mr. Chewy Cookie at hotmail.com. <laughs> He loves to play Butterfly, Boys, and My Fire. He's part of the Golfer's Land Millipedus crew, <laughs> and his dream is to compete with the best and improve his newbie skills. I just <laughs> talked about the Mill- Millipedus golf, uh, golf land uh, scene. You can hang out with uh, John Magat. M- 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 <laughs> Oh no! Wait, he's actually like very serious. <laughs> this guy's this guy actually cares. <laughs> Gary de Guzman says, "Face it, we have the same dream to be good enough and play against people with your own flair. To go to Japan, to own your mo- own your own machine, to have third mix as your own home machine, mm-hmm. or to find a fly ass girl." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and actually, you summed it up perfectly with that last quote, because uh, the road to getting to Japan to compete against people would not be an easy one for this community. And that is essentially where. Oh, I'm sorry. One more shout out. I would Uh, would honestly prefer if you would do them all throughout the rest of the episode. Dave H. Nickname (laughs) Fatty Groove. (laughs) Favorite song. Boom, boom, dollar. His notes. I'm out here to prove that fat guys have rhythm, too. (laughs) Fatty well, Groove, if you're listening, please send me video of you just 100%ing. And I wonder butterfly. if he still even ha- has this weight he's talking about because one of the other big things, the different articles I've read, uh, is about the success story of this, how this franchise and how this obsession with DDR led to a ton of people losing shitloads of weight. And right now, I'm enjoy- we're both enjoying Ring Fit Adventure mm-hmm. as this way to trick us into losing weight by video gameizing it, essentially. And that's uh, really, DDR was one of the first versions of that. One of very early in, I, uh, did I actually write down where it was in very early in the releases in the mixes? They would actually have a calorie counter 
that at the end of a song it would say, you know, depending on yep. how much you did, mm-hmm. oh, you burned off two grapes or oh, you burned off a whole egg. It became more incorporated. I believe with DDRA, it was more fully incorporated, actually, even the calorie counting and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they even had, I think, a workout mode by the by DDRA. DDRA, it's- by the way. We're gonna we're about to talk about because it's a big game changer for the American scene. Uh, but first, we have to talk about the dark days, the dark days, and and the history of tournament play with DDR. So, in July of 2000, Playland Arcade at Santa Monica Pier held one of the first ever DDR tournaments with around 50 people coming out for it. Other tournaments popped up after this, mostly on the West Coast, drawing in tons of people around the country, which strengthened the community even more so. In 2004, DDR became an official sporting event in Norway with its first official club being established DDR Oslo eventually Konami started promoting DDR as an eSport with their own tournament the Konami Arcade Championship which was usually held in Tokyo Japan and was initially limited to only Japanese competitors so Konami however did not support the competitive DDR scene in America which made it so that only those incredibly passionate about the scene had to pony up their own money and create their own events to keep the scene alive this got really difficult as the arcade industry in America dwindled through the 2000s Hudson Felker said who is one of the first Americans to compete, actually, in the Korean Arcade Championship. Spoiler alert. The lament of the DDR player in America has always been, you find a machine, you're just thrilled to play it, and then the down arrow just doesn't work at all. The sensors are just totally busted. You go to the tech, and he says, well, it works, it turns on, and you're like, that's not the point. I used to tell techs the arrow needs to be cleaned out a bit, and they would take some Windex and spray the top of the panel and wipe it. I'm like, dude, that's not how this works, but they don't want to do any work. And the real big issue was, Konami, you mentioned the upgrade kits that they would sell. Well, they only sold those in Japan and uh, and other... They didn't sell it in the U.S. If you wanted an up-to-date machine, you had to buy an entirely new DDR cabinet, which, of course, arcade owners are not going to do. They're so expensive. And yet, they have these upgrade kits. In Japan, you can have one cabinet, and then and you keep installing new software mix, on it. six mix. Yeah, t- new mixes, new, new settings, everything. It's all up-to-date. And this was a big issue, and it really were those pioneer kids who were just so into it that they were putting on their own money, holding their own tournaments, keeping this whole thing going. And finally, and I can't believe it took this long, in July of 2016, Konami releases DDRA, which I mentioned before, in America, which had full leaderboard connectivity, quality parts, and a relatively complete song list. But the most important thing is the leaderboard connectivity, because now... Players in America could upload scores to a central leaderboard and compete against foreign players. It wasn't until 2016 that Americans were even able to have a relationship with competitors overseas, which is kind of insane when you think about it, seeing seeing as how this came out in 1999. And and so it's, you know, a decade and a half until they almost two decades until they finally got to make this a worldwide thing. Imagine a world where games like League of Legends or Counter-Strike, you just had no idea how you compared to the rest of the world. You had no relationship. And, And in a situation where it's all about the relationships that you're forming, it's very shitty that they were cut off from each other for so long. So now, how how do I know if you can get a, a completely perfect PFC run of Cartoon Hero Speedy Mix? Uh-huh. Without the connectivity. And just understand like the importance of knowing the Japanese competitors on an esports level, having an awareness of that, having an understanding of 
you know, and being being relevant with them. I know as a person who's into the you know the FGC, the fighting game community, it's like different America and Japan. I mean England. I mean there's different places, but that's always such an important element is like seeing them. That's why there's an Evo in America and an Evo in Japan. Like you have to you have to have both mixing and. And competing against each other. Not only that, but uh, just having everybody on the same page with the same rule sets. We talked about how different features were kind of slowly introduced across each mix. Uh, You know, if you're playing for the first time, do you know which arrows represent quarter note beats and which arrows represent eighth note beats? Yeah. Do you know what the the fuck the groove radar even is? (laughs) Do you have any idea what the difference between air or stream level means? Like, of course you don't. Right. You know, so just having this united singular standard through which play can happen was a godsend for the competitive scene. And on top of that, Konami announces that they would select at least two North American players to compete in the KAC, the Konami Arcade Championship in Japan. And the Americans that went to the first, and this is, I believe, 2017 KAC, the Americans that went to KAC to compete for the first time ever were Chris Chike. Jeff Lloyd and Hudson Felker. By the way, there's the, I pulled a lot of this from a Kotaku article that was very great, and it also came with a video of the Americans going to Japan and competing in this tournament. Holden, I don't blame you because they are the same website, but it was Polygon. It was Polygon? <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked, actually, because uh, I, I really thought. But either way, it's a great article. Check it out and just watch the video because it's really fascinating to see. And uh, uh, Chris Chike, a.k.a. Chris for Life, is still doing a ton of pro uh-huh. competitive stuff. You can find videos of him all over YouTube. And it's kind of amazing. I especially love in that interview where he talked about what got him the most excited was he just wanted to be the best in the world at something. Uh-huh. And he was like, what's a thing that everybody would instinctively know? Oh, that's impressive that I'm the best in the world at it. And he picked DDR yeah. and just like, started It's a good doing- conversation starter at the very <laughs> least. Another thing I loved about that video in the interview is that he talked about his favorite part of going out there was just the night before getting to go to the arcade with all of these Japanese players that he was familiar with only from screen names and things like that. And actually getting to just like do that thing with them that he'd been doing in America with so many people, just hanging out, surrounding the machines impressing each other with their moves and just having that community vibe in japan that he so longed for uh being isolated in america also though spoiler alert he fucking wins (laughs) he wins the first time americans are able to go across the seas and and compete in this tournament he wins and he takes this this uh medal back to back to america and it's just this amazing touching thing where they fought so hard to keep this thing alive, and it was so difficult, and it was so amazing that he was. They were able to pull through all this time, and then to go and actually take that, uh, take that championship home is such an incredible thing. It was really a bit touching, the video and everything. So, for the new Dance Dance Revolution A20 released in 2019, Vice President of Dave and Buster's Kevin Bacchus confirmed that they received a localized software build in North America to be installed on existing cabinets with software upgrades released in North America last September as of the time of this recording. So there you go. They're also considering purchasing new cabinets as well, but for the time being, they're finally getting those dang software upgrades that they were so frustrated about not having in the past. 
So I talked to people at Dave and Buster's and I wanted to get a, an understanding of what it was like to, you know, have this physical machine in rare physical locations be a part of your social and physical fitness lifestyle. And uh, a lot of them, you know, are very active, not necessarily through DDR, but through a lot of the knockoff games, a lot of the freeware expansions that kind of emerged from the dark days as the dance game community kind of had to make do with Konami's kind of uh, leaving them in the dust. And so, you know, some of them play Osu, some of them play uh, B-Mani, some of them uh, just play Step Mania on a keyboard. You know, it's well, just... And we will talk about that in just a second. There is a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, if you're really serious, the real serious players were all wearing athletic shorts with <laughs> uh, Nike Airs, like very uh -huh. lightweight shoes. Uh -huh. There's controversy uh, that uh, in competitive play, a few players began uh, putting baby powder on the pads because ha. it helped with friction. Ha. And that uh, they now it's like a, a big controversy. All everyone except for like one older dude who like kept the flame of the no bar play alive. Nice. And he was sweating his balls. I off. bet. Um, well, a quick question: Was there any freestyling, or was it all tech? All, t all, all tech, tech. All tech. Yeah, the freestyle scene. I I remember seeing it at conventions. There uh -huh. would always be a small crowd because usually there'd be like. Uh, some like people doing uh, very like fun novelty dances yeah. that like well, it's work weird well. Because you really, I mean, I guess in tech, and there'd you have be to... uh, hot raver chicks, and we were all desperately lonely. <laughs> uh, just like what's his name, <laughs> fatty, whatever. <laughs> Say we could meet some chicks out here. Oh, hold on, let me just uh, talk about. Uh, shout out to Justin Moriarty, also known as Justin Chan. <laughs> uh, he just wants people to know DDR chicks rule and DDR <laughs> rules. And Christine, if you're out here, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, and definitely please check out DDR Freak. It is a relic that is just amazing. So let's talk about these knockoffs, shall we? Um, yeah. Developed by Korea's Andamiro, Andamiro, which is a coin-op machine dev out in Korea, as I mentioned, was Pump It Up First Dance Floor. And I believe there was a Pump It Up uh, cabinet at SGDQ as well as a DDR cabinet. Was it Pump It Up the classic Korea thing or was it one of the later versions? I'm sure it was a later version. Okay. I don't think it was the OG Pump It Up. But either way... Five it, pads! Five! Are you five, kidding? You got five now! You got five now! That, Diagonals! What a concept! It was, it was released just a year after the first DDR cabinet in 1999 and the first international version was Pump It Up the Premiere which featured mm -hmm. some American songs. There was, of course, a lawsuit filed in Seoul, Korea by Konami in 2000, claiming it infringed upon their de uh, design right for DDR. And Anne DeMiro filed a suit against Konami in the state of California, claiming DDR violated their pa uh, patent. Of course, as you know, the way litigation goes, it was all back and forth, and he said, and you, and then she said, and do. And both cases end up settling out of court. Then came In the Groove, which was based on a modified version of the free and open source Step Mania engine, which was originally developed as a clone of DDR. Step Mania, very important. It is this freeware, right? Step Mania is the mm. freeware, yeah. It's the freeware using uh, user-made .sim files where you kind of get these music and the uh, step patterns kind of hand-inputted. I know there's like even more advanced software now to create the sim files, but people can basically use it to create their own rhythm games, yes. to uh, just make total conversion ports of their favorite old DDR games. Mm. It's an incredibly versatile piece of software. 
that's constantly being updated. There's even you can go on the website. They're still talking about the new changes coming and with the next edition and everything. It's just this very cool thing that people can mess with and create their own experiences out of and whatnot. So that's what they used essentially to develop uh, as the, the, a clone of DDR. It was a... It should be noted that pretty much with every new rhythm game that has ever been released, even going to uh, stuff like harmonics and Guitar Hero and Rock Band, uh, Konami technically does have a patent yes. on hitting buttons according to an rhythm on-screen to rhythm prompt. Like, it's, it's you know, they got it, they, they got they got the piece of paper. Was there, are the Konami's, uh, the, is Konami, maybe it was Capcom, the assholes that made it so that loading screen games Namco that's Na- Namco, that's Namco. Has, the, has loading screen games unlocked so great idea great concept mm. during I mean it's not as applicable now loading screens aren't necessarily as bad depending on the game but especially back in the day when loading screens were kind of egregious they came up with this brilliant thing where you could play little mini games during mm. the loading screen part which just makes the wait way less frustrating but then Namco yeah is like no no one else can do that it's our <laughs> fucking thing so like this awesome innovation for loading screens just got totally snuffed out. And this is a bit of what Konami's doing too. That same year that In the Groove. T- oh, yeah. So it was In the Groove was a home console game released in the PS2 and the PC. In the Groove 2 was also released in arcades with its own cabinet in 2005, created by Rocksore Games, as well as conversion kits for old DDR machines. Now, that's the important one. That same year, Konami of Japan then files a lawsuit against Rockstar in Texas due to the conversion kits. And it's the same district in Texas where every patent troll goes to try and, like, Uh really, like, fuck people over. Because for some reason, this one district in Texas (laughs) is like, yeah, fuck creativity. (laughs) They settled with... This is the same uh, district where they tried to outlaw podcasts because (laughs) someone had the patent on mailing uh, audio cassettes to people. Oh, my God. The idea of distributed audio was under... insane. uh, That same year, uh, Konami, yeah, they filed a lawsuit. They settle with Konami, acquiring the In the Groove intellectual property rights. Both the home version of In the Groove 2 and the arcade release of In the Groove 3 were canceled after Konami got a hold of those intellectual property rights. Devs and musicians from ITG ended up working, In the Groove rather, ended up working with Andamiro, producing spinoffs of the Pump It Up franchise with songs and features carried over from In the Groove. And a man named Kyle Ward worked with Positive Gaming to create iDance, which is kind of fascinating. It's a dancing game that allowed up to 32 players to play against each other at once using Bluetooth, a Bluetooth-connected pad. He went on to found Step Revolution LLC to produce rhythm games like Re-Rave and Step Mania X. Step Mania also allowed for players to create their own custom songs and steps, as we said before, and hold contests over that sort of stuff. So that's essentially where we're at right now. Uh, big- you can Step Mania also, or Step Mania X, Step Revolution mm-hmm. produces the uh, Step Mania X home stage that you can get for your... Ah. Uh, with all metal construction available in four panel, nine panel, and five panel uh, configurations, and it can be yours for only uh, $1,400. Uh, I mean, it would be, but it's sold out, and thanks to uh, all the trade war with China that we've been having, uh, they can't get the materials to make any new ones. Now, do you think, I didn't look too far into this, but on a hunch, I would say, do you think motion censoring and stuff like just dance did that essentially kill the major because you're right you don't there's no ddr pad i don't think that i can go pick up for the playstation 4 that's not some weird 
bootleg situation. So I wonder that it was is after this. I didn't I didn't go into just dance stuff. That's its own thing. You could very easily draw a line between the rise of physical mechanical arcade games like DDR and Nintendo moving to motion controls on the Wii. Right. You can absolutely see how they went one to one to the controllerless revolution that then became, you know, the Connect which then gave birth to Just Dance where you can like just, you know, the bad camera system can sort of see how your body is moving. Uh-huh. But I just feel like whoever really loves DDR can find the machines and hopefully uh that kind of will I just get, there's no there's no just dance competitions really. Yeah, yeah, I can't for imagine sure. people doing the rah rah Rasputin dance. And it still is a thing. And obviously, they're still releasing cabinets for DDR. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, I'd say uh, the stuff we talked about, like Osu and Stepmania, yeah. has kind of upped the the where like the true diehards who want that extreme rhythm game experience uh-huh. to go. Right. Um, where, yeah, casual games like Just Dance or uh, Nintendo's Rhythm Heaven series just kind of lets you get it out in little bits. If you just buy it once, forget about it for a couple years, then maybe pick up another one when you got the itch again. Still, I think the main fascination with this whole DDR episode And you for can't me, go hard on a soft floor pad like you can yeah. on, a, on a real solid platform. True. You can, you'll, like, rip it up if you're actually trying to hit those, like, level 18, 19 songs. I think what's amazing to me about this entire episode is just that there was just this small thriving community that were so passionate. Their passion is the really the one thing that enabled them to can keep this this whole scene alive and even even bring it back into popularity after really facing every single possible just against every single odd. They 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 were they managed to keep it alive and keep it going and that's literally for you know, I know in the guy what's Chris's story. I mean, he was driving an hour each way to go play DDR, and I think he did something like twenty hours a week. He would play, and like it's people like that 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 really managed to keep DDR in in the hearts and minds of the world, uh, sort of ish. Unless you've never heard of it before. In that a case, resource yeah. that I found really helpful to kind of help gain insight into what this kind of dance gaming community is currently at was uh, SF Evolved, which is a San Francisco NorCal, you know, that's where it started. Yeah. Uh, NorCal based dance esports kind of umbrella organization that holds tournaments that, you know, is trying to make this into a legitimate esports scene. They have an amazing podcast called uh, the Arrow Panel, which I've been listening to. It has interviews with people like Kyle Ward, who behind Step Mania. Um, Chris for Life, and it really, you know, they have great introduction episodes on how you get your little Konami amusement card, how do you keep track of scores, Mm -hmm. how do you, uh, you know, little industry terms, the difference between a perfect hit and a marvelous hit. We barely scratch the surface, and like any episode where we cover something that has a vibrant and in-depth community with over 20 years of jargon and, and terms and history behind it, Please don't scream at me when we got something <laughs> horrifically wrong. We, I'm trying to shotgun a week's worth of knowledge. It's like find okay. It's like okay. It's like finding out 
when the Easter Island head, you dig and it has a whole body underneath it. And then you dig even more and it turns out it was driving a little stone go-kart. <laughs> they just keeps digging. Also, I'm just going to mention this because it made me laugh. As reported at the end of 2018, Konami is working with a film company called Stampede on a movie for Dance Revolution. And according to Variety, it says the project will explore a world on the brink of destruction where the only hope is to unite through the universal language of dance. And dear Lord, I hope that in this film, dragons are king. Oh, one more shout out. One player at the Dave and Busters was incredibly generous with his time and expertise, and I'm sorry that I butchered half the things he told me today. But uh, you can follow him on Twitter. It's Mark at Mark DDR. Hell yeah! And he posts his scores and you know kind of tracks his progress and also just retweets a bunch of cool anime artwork he likes. <laughs> it's worth a follow. Hell yeah! Follow that guy at Mark DDR. All right, thank you so much for joining us for our episode on Dance Dance Revolution. If you'd like to check us out and support us further, check out our Patreon, $5 a month, and we do weekly episodes for just that amount. It is so nice and easy, and also there's other tiers. You can check those out as well. Uh, and you can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash Holdenatorsho. I do streams on Monday, Tuesday, Friday night, most usually. Jake! Follow me on Twitter, at bestjakeyoung, and uh, hey, Mary... Uh, play us out with a little bit of 300 max. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.